This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs.
did die. He did die for us, and thank you so much. I would ask you to um, open your Bibles, please, to the book of Romans. Are we on? Um, Hello? Check one, two. Okay. There we are. We're back. We're in part three of our series that we're calling Deconvert. And we've been talking about religion, which at first blush seems like an appropriate thing to talk about in church. But we haven't been talking about religion in a positive light. We've been saying that we actually need to deconvert from religion. In fact, I think the best thing that could happen to all of us is for us to lose our religion. Because religion in itself is empty, it's frustrating, it's cruel, it's violent. Religion is mean. But then after deconverting from religion, we need to fill that void with Jesus and allow the refreshing, liberating simplicity of the gospel to rekindle our faith. And I hope that during this series, we're rediscovering Jesus in a new way. Now, today I want to begin by saying something that may shock your system a little bit. Preachers sometimes like to say things that have a little bit of shock value. Are you ready for the statement? Most every religion is the same. They all have the same goals. They all have the same values for good and proper living. Many times you can't tell one religion from another. Now, I know that sounds liberal, it sounds ecumenical, so please hang with me. But just for starters, to illustrate some of the overlaps, some of the similarities in religion, we don't have to go any further than the golden rule. Anybody ever hear the golden rule before? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And and probably a lot of us thought that the golden rule was just a principle in Christianity, But most every religion and most every philosopher has their own version of the golden rule. For for example, here is the Muslim version of the golden rule. Islam says this, no one of you is a believer until he loves for his brother what he loves for himself. Fairly close to what we believe. Here's Buddhism's version of the golden rule. Do not offend others as you would not want to be offended. How about Hinduism? Do not do to others what would cause pain if done to you. Judaism, what you hate, do not do to anyone. How about Aristotle? Aristotle was a philosopher that lived 300 and some years before Christ. He said this, we should behave to our friends as we wish our friends to behave to us. Plato, He lived 400 years before Christ. He said this, may I do to others as they should do unto me. So the golden rule is a common denominator with religions and philosophers. There are more similarities among religions. C.S. Lewis, back in 1943, wrote a little book called The Abolition of Man. And in this book, which which actually was a series of three lectures that they put together in in, in one book, but after researching the major world religions, he put together a list of thou shalts and thou shalt nots. I think he called them oughts and ought nots that you can essentially find in every religion. 
And I want to take a moment and give them to you because these help lay the foundation for what we're going to be talking about in Romans chapter 8. Here are eight overlapping principles found in every major world religion. Number one, don't harm others with word or deed. So don't do anything, don't say anything that might hurt or offend somebody else. We agree with that. Number two, honor your parents. Similarities in every major world religion. Number three, be kind to siblings. I don't know about that one. (laughs) Be kind to siblings and the elderly. Be honest in all your dealings. Again, these are overlap in all major world religions. Don't lie. Don't have sex with another person's spouse. So if you think that marital faithfulness is just a stuffy, old-fashioned, out-of-date principle in Christianity, you need to study other world religions. Number seven, care for those who are weaker. Eight, put others first. Uh, Now, all of us here, I think, would would agree with with every single one of these common denominators that C.S. Lewis identified in every major world religion. Now, something else that I want to bring up is that another common denominator, not only do the major religions agree on these oughts and ought-nots, but these same major religions also have in common that their adherents, their their members, the people who follow these religions, they're not consistent in following these rules. In, In every religion, for Every single one of these oughts and ought-nots, there's failure. They're not good at keeping their own rules of behavior. Now, in case you're thinking, well, we as Christians do a better job of following them than, than other religions, let's see. Let's go down these list, this list of eight, and, and I need you to participate and be honest. Number one, how many of you have ever hurt or offended someone with something you said or did? Maybe it was unintentional. Anybody? Just be honest here. Just honesty. Number two, so we violated that. How many of you at some point in your life ever dishonored or disobeyed your parents? Yeah. How many of you were ever unkind to a brother or sister if you had one, or said something unkind about an older person that maybe got on your nerves? Anybody care to? How many of you have ever been dishonest or maybe deceptive in some of your dealings? Uh, Maybe even the IRS, you didn't quite report every income. Yeah, you don't want to raise your hand on that, do you? Number five, how many of you have ever told a lie, even if it was just a white lie? Number six, how many of you are really nervous? (laughs) As we get to number six. And if you haven't lied before, you will right now. I'll be nice and skip over this one. How many of you have failed at times and not protected the weak, such as maybe you failed to protect somebody that was being bullied, or you failed to stand up for someone that you knew was being falsely accused and you didn't step in and say, you're wrong? Number eight, how many of you have ever put yourself first over someone else? 
Maybe a checkout line opened up at Walmart and you rushed over there even though others had been waiting longer than you. What's the conclusion? Not only do people from other world religions fail at keeping these core values, but we who call ourselves Christians, followers of Jesus, we do the same. Which means you could go to a Muslim mosque, you could go to a Jewish synagogue, you could go to a Hindu temple, you could go to a Buddhist pagoda, you could go to a Protestant or Catholic church, and the members would say, yes, our religion teaches oughts and ought nots. We know right from wrong. We know that when we stand at an altar and make a promise to people who will be our husband or wife and tell them we will be faithful to them and love them during good times and bad, we know we're supposed to keep our promise. I was involved in a Hindu wedding a few years ago. They even made that promise to each other, Hindus. All of us from every religion, we know, we also know that when we sign a contract, whether it's taking out a loan at the bank or signing a lease on a house or signing any type of business deal, we know that what, we know what we're supposed to do when we sign. All of us from every religion, we we also know that There's failure. We don't do what we know we should do. We don't do what we sign we we will do. We don't do what we vow and promise at the wedding altar that we will do. And we have all not only disappointed God, but we've disappointed ourselves. And so what happens when, when we do something we know we shouldn't or we shouldn't do or when we don't do something we know we should do? What happens Guilt comes upon us. And we may not fully understand guilt. We may not admit guilt. We may try to cover guilt up, but guilt is there. And it's amazing what guilt does to us. Sometimes it causes us to stay awake at night. Sometimes guilt causes us to drink too much. Or medicate too much. Or work too much. Sometimes guilt just paralyzes us and causes us to just mope around or sit around and not want to do anything. Sometimes guilt causes us to try to soothe our guilt by being extra generous. Or by getting involved in multiple organizations to serve others. And one of the contributing factors that complicates our guilt is that we know we cannot go back and change the past. We cannot go back and undo the infidelity. We cannot go back and reparent that 14-year-old son or daughter because now they're 25. We cannot go back and undo that accident that we caused because we were under the influence. We cannot go back and unsay those things that wounded a dear friend of ours. You know, we, we say, if I could just go back and do this over again, but we can't. And so what happens is that many times we live with guilt. Because we know we've fallen short of a law that we believe came from God or a law that maybe at least came from having some personal standards that we tried to follow. And we all know the feeling of living with guilt. And so the question that we want to deal with today is, what do I do with my guilt? What do I do with my past? What do I do with my failure? I let God down or I let my spouse down or I let someone else down. I let myself down. How can I get rid of that ever-present nagging sense of guilt that follows me when I get out of bed and follows me to work and then follows me back to bed. Well, that's why when Jesus showed up on earth, that was good news. 
It was good news for all religions, of all backgrounds, of all tribes, of all languages, because Jesus came to address this issue of guilt, this issue of, of, of I know what I ought to do. I know what I ought to be. I know what I ought to say, but I failed. Now, the book of Romans, and, and again, as I said last week about the book of Acts, is not really a book. It's an ancient manuscript that was written by the Apostle Paul, probably around 56, 57, 58 A.D., And what's so revealing to me is that this document, or again, we'll be calling it a book today, wasn't necessarily written to good and holy boys and girls that called themselves Christians. It wasn't necessarily written to the church because there weren't churches, at least in the way we think of them. Rather, Paul wrote this to people who lived in Rome, who had a Roman view of the world, which was, their view was similar to our view today. It was kind of like a Somebody referred to it as a pantheon of gods. In other words, a a particular set of gods that were a combination of Greek gods and Roman gods, kind of new, kind of old, all mixed together. Anything went. Remind you of today? And so to these people who lived in Rome, in the book of Romans, Paul explains in his kind of technical sometimes complex way what it meant for Jesus to become the forgiver of sins. And if if I could just say it this way, because this is what we want to deal with, what it meant for Jesus to become the remover of guilt. Now, these verses are kind of tricky. So we'll talk about them as we go along. Follow along Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore... The old-time preachers used to say, if there's a therefore, you need to see what it's there for. (laughs) Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, let's stop already. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that, that little Greek word translated condemnation, we could use the word guilt, but, but the Greek word is a legal term that is used when you've been tried, found guilty, and shipped off to prison. Tried, found guilty, shipped off to prison. So, so as we use this word condemnation today, keep referring back to what it means. You've been tried, found guilty, shipped off to prison. But Paul is saying that if you're in Christ, no matter what your religion is, no matter how bad you've been, no matter how many oughts and ought nots you have broken, once you're in Christ, from God's perspective, you're no longer condemned. Now, a religious system may condemn you, your friends may condemn you, your church may condemn you, you may even condemn you. You may feel like you need to spend the rest of your life trying to do things to uncondemn yourself. But once you're in Christ, from God's perspective, there is now no condemnation. Well, then the question comes up, how do you get to that place where God no longer condemns you? Paul continues on. There's now, now, therefore, now no condemnation. Verse 2, because through Christ... Through Christ. So, so Paul begins to unlock the mystery of how to become, become uncondemned. Can we just say it that way? Uncondemned before God. Make sure you follow this. I hope you didn't leave your brains at the door when you came in because you will need them today. But th- this is a bit tricky, a bit technical, but totally awesome. Totally awesome. 
How do you get away from that condemnation that comes from being guilty of not following the oughts and ought nots? Paul says through Christ Jesus, but then goes on and says, The law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Now, this is deep stuff, but you're smart. Otherwise, you wouldn't be part of this church. Um, Paul says there are two laws, the law of the spirit and the law of sin and death. And for all of us, you, especially some of you and me, but we're born with our default law being the law of sin and death. That's where we started. What is that law? The law of sin and death is when you sin, something dies. When you sin, something dies. When you sin, something dies. And some of us, we've killed relationships because of what we've said and because of what we've done. We sinned, something died. Some of us have killed a relationship with a parent through the way that we treated them. The relationship died. Some of us have killed marriages through unfaithfulness. We sinned, something died. Nations have killed themselves through sin. Cultures have killed themselves through sin. Families have destroyed themselves through sin. When you sin, something dies. So Paul is saying that when it comes to God, we sinned. And in so doing, we killed our relationship with God. We killed it. Well, in that same verse that we read, it's kind of a teaser. Paul, and Paul's going to flesh this out in just a moment, but just a little teaser he kind of throws out there. He said, yes, there's a law that when you sin, something dies, but there's also another law. And he refers to that law as the law of the spirit of life. And he says that that law set him free from the law of sin and death. Now, I've used this illustration before, uh, back a few years ago, and others have used similar illustrations, but it explains it so well. Just humor me, and you know, you tell your same jokes over and over. Let me tell my story over and over, okay? A few years ago, some people in this church um, paid my way to go skydiving. And I don't know if this was a subtle hint, um, hoping that the chute wouldn't open, um, but I, I, I'm going to just kind of give them the benefit of the doubt. Uh, they, they knew that I'm a pretty big risk taker and my hobbies are not safe little hobbies like playing golf and throwing horseshoes and quilting. Um, but anyway, some people paid for me to jump out of an airplane. And, and by the way, my buddy Hans, uh, you see the picture there, uh, he was also in on that experience. We share the same birthday, so we're twins. And uh, we enjoyed taking some of the same risk. But we, we boarded the plane that would take us up. And this was not a big plane. It was a King Air. There were 12 to 14 of us. We were jammed in there like sardines. It would have never passed the social distancing guidelines of today. We definitely were not six feet apart. We weren't even six inches apart. In fact, what they had done, and it's interesting, they had removed all the seats from the plane except for the pilot seat. That way they could cram more people in there. And so we were sitting on the floor, just pretty much all of us sitting on top of each other. The pilot fired up the engines. The plane had no door except a little flimsy plexiglass-like door that, that just rolled down to keep a little bit of the air out, didn't keep the noise out, and didn't keep all the air out. We taxied to the end of the runway. The pilot revved up the engines of that King Air, let off the brakes. We went down that runway, and within just a few seconds, even with the weight of the plane, even with the weight of the people, and some of them were not petite, 
But that plane had the power to lift off the ground. And the pilot started what would end up being a 12-minute climb to arrive at our desired altitude of 14,000 feet. Now, we, we all believe in the law of gravity, right? Everybody believes in gravity? But the plane defied the law of gravity and went higher and higher and higher. Was the law of gravity canceled? Oh, of course not. The law of gravity was still in effect. But, but there was another law at work, and that law is called the law of aerodynamics. And, and the law of aerodynamics happens to be a greater law than the law of gravity. So, so what happened? Well, when we reached our altitude of 14,000 feet, they rolled up that plexiglass door. One by one, they started bailing out of the plane, and it came my turn. I crawled over to the door, looked out the open door, and saw that 14,000 feet below me was the ground. And some people afterwards asked me, well, were you nervous right before you jumped? I never got to find out. I never did jump because I was pushed out. <laughs> you know, we were jumping tandem, and I didn't have the training to go solo, but the man that was strapped to me got tired of me waiting for me to get up my courage, so he shoved me out into thin air. Talk about a rush. If you want a moment just of exhilaration, that moment when you jump out of an airplane, oh my word. Now, what do you think happened when, when he pushed me out? I felt like a rock. As long as I was in the king air, then the law of aerodynamics was greater than the law of gravity. But when I was pushed out of the plane, the law of gravity took over. And within a couple of seconds, I, I reached speeds in excess of 120 miles an hour. And for the next 60 seconds, I free fell probably 8,000 feet or so until it was time to pull the cord. And I don't know if you can see, you know, everybody likes to laugh at the pastor, make fun of the pastor. But can you see my cheeks right there? You know, the wind, so fast, and, and so they're all pooched up, look like a, a chipmunk with about 100 acorns in there. And uh, there we are just dropping like a, a rock. And as long as I was in the plane, the law of aerodynamics was greater than the law of gravity. But the moment I got out of the plane the law of gravity took effect. So Paul is saying this. He's saying that the law of sin and death will always be in place as long as we live in this world. But, but through Christ, a new law has been introduced, the law of the Spirit who gives life. And, and we talked about the law of sin and death. You know, when we sin, something dies. But the new law of the Spirit is described by forgiveness and grace and mercy. And that law allows us to overcome the law of sin and death. Man, I can't believe we talked about people running on the backs of pews. I can't believe you're not doing that this morning because this is amazing news. Now, some of us, after sinning and maybe killing a relationship, we felt awful about it. And, and we called the person, wrote letters, did everything we could to make amends. But unfortunately, the only way to get back into a relationship with someone we've hurt is for them to allow us back into that relationship. And the law of the spirit of life is that God has chosen, not because of anything we have done, not because of money we've given, not because of any 
kindness to animals or picking up people's trash, whatever it is. But God has chosen to invite us back into a relationship with him based on his decision to extend forgiveness because of his grace and mercy. And in this life, the law of sin and death doesn't go away. But the law of the spirit of life supersedes the law of sin and death and offers forgiveness through his son, Jesus, to people of all religions, of every nation, and every language. Well, Paul goes on in verse 3. I told you this is totally awesome. For what the law... And and it could be any law. It could be the laws of Judaism. It could be the Ten Commandments. It could be the Twenty Commandments. It could be the Six Hundred Commandments. But what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in sinful man. Let's talk about that. The, The only thing the law can do is condemn you. The law can't save you. You know, when you're pulled over by a police officer for driving too fast, you've broken the law. Even though most people will try to come up with an excuse, well, I was going down a hill, officer. I had my cruise set. Or I just got new tires and my speedometer must be off. Have you ever tried that? If you're going too fast, You've broken the law, and the law condemns you. And so Paul says what the law, and it can be, again, any religious law, spin the wheel, pick a religion, what all religious law was powerless to do, God did. And how did he do it? Well, by sending an easier list of rules for us to keep. No, that's what we want. And just like the excuses we use to get out of a ticket for speeding, we're pretty good about excusing ourselves. We say, well, it wasn't much, that much of a lie. It's just a little white lie. Well, I was only unfaithful that one time. And that was because she did this to me. And that caused me to drink too much. And I never would have done it otherwise. So it's really her fault. <laughs> well, I know I hit her, but I didn't hit her hard. And I only did it once. And I said I was sorry. Yeah, I didn't pay my bill, but I didn't like the way they treated me. Yeah, I didn't leave a tip, but the food was horrible. Well, she really didn't deserve for me to be faithful, and he really wasn't a good dad anyway, and he wasn't a good employee, and and our guilt causes us to try to excuse ourselves and blame others, but listen, we're still guilty. The law brings guilt, and, and the law cannot save us. The law can only condemn us. But what the law was powerless to do, God did. And how did he do it? Well, our scripture said that it was through God sending his own son to be a sin offering. And and then the verse said something here that was just totally awesome. Have I said that yet? It says he condemned sin in sinful man. So God condemned sin. So using the definition of condemn that we used earlier, condemn means to be tried, found guilty, shipped off to prison. So that's what God did when he condemned sin. When we came to Christ, he tried, found guilty, shipped sin off to prison. Isn't that cool? 
And so God overcame the law of sin and death for you, for me, has extended the offer of forgiveness and grace to everyone who will choose to receive it. What the law was powerless to do, what religion was powerless to do, what tradition was powerless to do, what standing up and sitting down and spinning around and making promises and praying 12 times a day or going to church on Sunday or or whatever, as, as wonderful as those things may be, they're powerless to resolve the issue of as hard as I try. I can't seem to follow the laws of God. I can't seem to follow those oughts and ought nots. But what the law could not do, God did by sending his son. Why? Verse 4. In order that the righteous requirements of the law. Now, now what, what's the righteous requirement of the law? The righteous requirement of the law would be following the rules. You know, we mentioned a few of them. I will never harm others with word, deed, honor my parents, be kind of my brother, my sister, the elderly, be honest and be faithful to my spouse, care for those who are weaker, etc., etc. Those are just a few of the righteous requirements of the law. So, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. So, this is huge. God is offering you through Jesus a standing with Him that says, I'm going to give you the righteousness that would be yours if you kept every single law perfectly every time, which you haven't done and you won't do. And I'm going to give you the righteous standing just as as if you had been perfect and sinless all of your life. And God said, I'm taking all the consequences, all the punishment, all the condemnation that you deserve, and I'm placing it on my son. Wow. So the dilemma of religion, even the dilemma of, of Christianity, is we ought to, but we don't. And so now we're condemned and guilty and at odds with God. What can we do about our past? What can we do about our failure? What can we do about our sin? God said the solution is God condemning sin in sinful mankind. Remember what that means when we come to Jesus. Ask for forgiveness. Ask him to cleanse our hearts. God tries sin, finds it guilty, ships it off to prison. And of course, we may have to face the consequences because other people may not extend that kind of forgiveness But what the law was powerless to do, God has done by sending us his son. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're being controlled and led by the law of sin and death, would you uh, allow the spirit of life to set you free today? God is inviting you back into that into that relationship with him. So here's what I want to do as we close out our time together. I want to give you an opportunity to allow him to take your sin, your guilt, your condemnation in exchange for forgiveness and your commitment to follow him and serve him. Doesn't that sound like an awesome trade? And this morning... I think a lot of people are trying to follow the laws and the laws are good but the laws only condemn they don't save 
So would you allow God, through his son Jesus, to give you a new law, the law of the spirit of life, life in Christ Jesus. Could you just open your heart to him today? Say, God, I'm guilty. I can't follow what I want to do. I've tried, tried harder, tried harder and harder. Can't seem to do it. This law of sin and death just follows me around everywhere I go. And what sins dies, when there's sin, there's death. Could you just say, God, I give you my everything. I give you my guilt, my sin, my past, my present, my future. Would you give me this new law? You know, as we talked about, the, the law of aerodynamics supersedes. It's greater than the law of gravity. And this law of the spirit of life is so much greater than the law of sin and death. Would you just allow God to give that to you today? Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for this amazing passage. Thank you that you allowed me to be so blessed this week as I studied this. And I know it's kind of technical. It's kind of complicated. But Lord... You, you allowed me to just be so blessed and maybe have a little glimpse of understanding that I haven't maybe had in the past. Lord, I believe there are some prayers that are going up right now. There are some people that have been living through the law, by the law of sin and death, and there's guilt, condemnation. They get up feeling guilty. They go to bed feeling guilty and live their lives feeling guilty and Lord I, I I pray that right now that we would just be able to submit to this new law that's greater supersedes this law of sin and death and laws spirit and life Lord I pray that we would be led by the spirit Father we, we need to be different than the world we need to act different we, we need to be spirit-filled. Father, we need to operate in such a way to where the world sees there's something different, that it's not just sin and death, sin and death, sin and death, but there's actually something that's different, wonderfully different. And Father, I pray that you would help us to live our lives that way. And right now as we're praying, Lord, as we're all praying, I just ask that you would uh, help us to submit to you, consecrate to you, and God, give us life. Give us life. Give us victory. Lord, give us life through Jesus Christ. Thank you again for this word, this passage. Lord, this week, would you just cause us to think about this? I know how it is. Whenever we say the dismissal, we think about other stuff, and sometimes it never enters our mind again. But, Father, I just pray that you would just kind of put this on our mind throughout this week, that we would meditate and pray over it and consider it and God that it would be a week of spiritual growth for us Lord thank you for your word we love you we pray this in Jesus name everybody said amen you're dismissed 
You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.